going to get harder and harder in these days as we come for Christians to be publicly Christians. I mean, we can sense that already happening in our society. Well, the good news is is that prob- that it, what it will do is cause some people to stand up and say, you know what, today I don't care. I'm, I am going to, to live out my faith in a valid way. And, and what we see is God always uses that. People are people, and the gospel is the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. Truthfully, people haven't changed. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. E.E.'s founder, the late Dr. D. James Kennedy, created Evangelism Explosion back in 1962, really during a time in what he describes as one of the lowest points in his ministries attempting to grow his first congregation. A pastor friend, Kennedy Smart, invited Dr. Kennedy to assist him in a series of evangelistic services in Scottsdale, Georgia. He went out with his friend and watched him engage people spiritually By the end of the meeting, 54 people had made professions of faith in Christ. Returning to Fort Lauderdale with the seeds that eventually became EE, Evangelism Explosion, Dr. Kennedy saw the church began to grow. In a 12-year period, the church membership increased from 17 to 2,000. And today we are going to talk about the ongoing work and ministry of Evangelism Explosion with its current president and CEO, John Sorensen. John, thank you so much for joining Bot Radio Network. Well, Byron, thanks so much for having me on. I understand you were raised the son of a preacher. You enrolled at a Christian college. You were 16 years old. That's a story in itself. But you became disheartened by what you saw and determined to set sail towards a different horizon. John, what did you see that was so disheartening? Well, Byron, truthfully, as I look back on it, I wasn't a believer. You know, I was around the church. I had been part of the church since nine months before I was born. You know, every single Sunday I was in the service, and yet I was—I had never come to that place where I had put my faith firmly and only in Jesus Christ. And so, and, and frankly, there are a lot of folks in the church like that, as you well know, and uh, I was one of those. So, yeah, I went to Bible college. I, you know, I think I won a preaching contest at the age of 14 at a college in Indiana or something like that, and yet unsaved. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him personally. And so I guess I was most disheartened just with me uh, of, of all the things that I would say, uh, not being able to live out this life that I, that I saw other people able to do, but I didn't know how to do that. John, as you reflect on having grown up in a pastor's home, thinking about your father, you just said you weren't a believer, but were there certain disciplines you saw your father had that you have come to appreciate today? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. You know, I've had, uh, I'll tell you just a really quick story that'll bless your heart. You know, we we did a Congress of Nations with Evangelism Explosion over in um, Africa, and after it, I stayed and did a little touring around, and I wanted to go to one of my dad's favorite places, and that happened to be Victoria Falls, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, I, I did a tour that day. I found a tour guide in the morning, and at the end of the day, I decided, you know, I really ought to ask this guy the two diagnostic questions and see if he's a believer. And I, I asked him, did he know for sure that he's going to heaven? And he said, oh, yes, I do. And, and what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into my heaven? And this, this man said, well, you know, it's so funny that you'd ask me that. I heard a guy, and actually a United States guy, ask me that question when I was a little boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it turns out it was my dad. Oh. He had, in fact, he planted the church that this man was a pastor of at that moment. He was a pastor that was doing tour guides during the day just to make ends meet. Byron, I never knew that about my dad. I never under, I knew that he'd go to Africa. I knew that he would do crusades and things like that, but I never understood you know, the impact that he was making in the lives of people. And so to meet a second-generation Christian in Africa that was really led to Christ by my dad, that was actually the grace of God. You know, God doesn't have to show us stuff like that, Um, and he has no obligation to. And yet, sometimes he does just to say, hey, I love you this much, you know? What a beautiful story, John, and to have that in uh, your collection of memories about your father and the, the spiritual heritage that he left you. Were there other times that you regularly saw your dad share the gospel with those outside the church? Yeah, I mean, he actually did evangelism explosion. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that at the time, but I've since come to understand it. And uh, and so, you know, to see that is, is really kind of the comedy of God. Uh, but the other thing you should know is I actually came to Christ through evangelism explosion, and it was a it was a, at a later point in life. My dad actually died of uh, of cancer, and uh, watching that process really had a pretty profound. Uh, impact on my life, I, I realized as he as he died, I realized that I had a faith, but my faith was in my dad. My faith was not in Jesus. And so it was some years later, a couple of years later, I was working actually in radio up in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, I ended up going into a church and met a, a, a man, a pastor, um, who became my second dad in, in many ways. And this man asked me those two diagnostic questions, and I answered them wrong. I said, I hope so, and I guess I'm trying to be the best person I can be. And this man shared the gospel, which we teach in Evangelism Explosion. And it was at the end of that presentation, about 30 minutes later, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I finally understood what I had not understood for all of my life, and that is it's not merely knowing about Jesus that saves a person. It's knowing Jesus. And I I never got that. Now, look, I'm sure others were much smarter, Byron, but I just never got it until then. But by the grace of God... I was able to understand it, and my life radically changed that day. Well, you mentioned radio. Of course, as you had become disenfranchised with the Church, as a non-believer, your course was setting out to go into broadcasting, communications, Mm. having received recognition with regional and national awards for your TV and radio ads, as well as for sound design for your films. That was where your life was. So you had all the success, but you began to be dissatisfied. Was it through your dad's illness that you started thinking about these things? It really was. You know, my dad died when I was 20 or maybe 21, but I'm mean, so I was a very early age. I'd never understood, as, as I said, what it was that he was so compelled by. So yes, it had a, a great impact in me and in my life. And I, by the way, didn't finish Bible college. I, I left after three years, and I took off. I got a job at a at an AM top forty station up in Omaha, Nebraska, and I ended up up there. Like you said, eventually started some sound design studios and whatnot, and did commercials mostly, but also other things like that. That really became my life. Sucked me into it, and I think Byron, you would know from the broadcasting world and whatnot. I mean, there certainly is Christian broadcasting, but as a general rule broadcasting is not that honoring of God. And uh, the life I was leading 
certainly wasn't. You know, I, I shudder to think some of the things that I said on the radio, but the good news is God's removed it far from me as far as the East is from the West as I repent. So that was my life, and, and it was pretty far from God. And so it was actually a pretty public thing for me as a disc jockey in the morning on a morning show, coming to Christ, seeing the change. I've, I've had a number of people call me and say, John, we watched that happen, and that was pretty cool watching <laughs> you change from this very irreverent guy to this Christ follower. And, you know, you end up talking about Jesus and all, all this on the air. And, um so, you know, praise God that he's not done with any of it. I guess that's the moral of that yes. story. One is that God saves even the most ridiculous of people. So whoever's listening, don't think you're too far away. And then secondly, his story, his testimony in us, is a, it's, a, it's a beautiful story of redemption. And that, that's the great news, is that God saves guys even like me. Honestly, he saves anybody, anybody that will put their faith in Christ. So... You referenced Dr. Tom Stebbins, who was like a second father to you just a moment yeah, ago, who yeah. helped lead you to Christ. At that same time, I believe your wife, Anne, was also influenced by evangelism explosion. Absolutely. You know, we were dating, and uh, I had never really said anything to her about my spiritual background, if you will, because it was not part of my life at that point. And, uh, you know, I was pretty sure that once I came to Christ, I came to Christ on Monday morning. And I did not tell Anne until Friday. And I, it took me until Friday to screw up my courage and decide I'm going to tell this girl that I loved and, and was just really, uh, still am in love with. And, and I, I was really sure she was going to dump me. That was the end of that. You know, as I mentioned, hey, I'm one of those born again Christians. And, uh, and that was the end of that. Well, it didn't. It, it, Friday night came. I screwed up my courage. I actually had a tract. You know, and so people say gospel tracks don't work, and I always laugh when I hear that because that's all I had. And I was sitting there at her kitchen table, and I went through the gospel using this track, and tears streamed down her eyes, and I didn't know what she was going to say. And the first words out of her her mouth was, so I can be right with, with Jesus, is Aww. what you're saying. And I, I said, well, I think that's what the Bible says. And she goes, well... I never thought I could. She said, but you're telling me I can't, I'll believe that. And she gave her heart to Christ that night as well. And so we've been Christians a little bit longer than we've been, than we've been married. And we've been married, I want to say, 33 years at this point. So we've been Christians just a little bit longer than that. And God has, has changed her life just as radically as mine. John, that is a wonderful story. And when the, the, your spouse, together you can share the union with Christ, which makes your relationship that much greater and much more mm -hmm. meaningful, you know. My wife and I have been married 37 years, and together we've wow, journeyed with Christ. You. And so you had this career in broadcasting, but then you joined the <laughs> staff of Evangelism Explosion, you know. Uh, how and where did you first meet Dr. D. James Kennedy? Well, actually, when we moved down to Fort Lauderdale, you know, D Tom Stebbins is the guy who led me to Christ, as you said, and he eventually went on staff as what, what was called the Executive Vice President of Evangelism Explosion. I think he was the seventh Executive Vice President that had existed in that the 60-year history of the ministry, as you're saying. As he was on staff, and I, I just kept feeling this calling. In fact, right after we became Christians, Ann and I both had this moment where we looked at each other and said, I think we're called the ministry. We didn't know what that meant. We thought, well, we'll be missionary dorm parents someday, you know, when we retire from work and whatnot. But then I can tell you, Byron, the very day that God 
spoke into my heart and said, now's the day. You know, I've, I've, I've called you to ministry. You, you heard me say that. Today's the day that's going to happen. And so I called up Tom. I didn't, didn't know what else to do. I said, I really feel like this is what God's told me. And he said, well, come on down and, and you can join the staff of EE. And so I did. It, uh, at, on January 1st, 1997, uh, Ann and I left our, our home in Nebraska, and we moved to Fort Lauderdale, which probably would have been on the list of places I would have said I would never have moved. We moved, and it was in that very first Sunday that I met Dr. D. James Kennedy. And, and of course, he was larger than life. This, he was this, but what I found over the years of working for him, um, he was the most real Christian that you could ever meet. I mean, this guy was the real deal. He shared the gospel daily with everyone that he met and and just loved Jesus and, and was burdened for the lost. John, do you mind to add a story there? Uh, no, please. The late Dr. Adrian Rogers was my pastor here in Memphis for many years. There was a meeting in Washington, D.C. that Dr. Rogers attended with some other evangelical leaders around the country. They met with the president in the White House. I don't recall which particular president it was, but they were. I think it was Ronald Reagan. Was it Reagan? Okay. You've heard this story. I've heard heard this story, but I've heard it from Dr. Kennedy. You heard it from Dr. Kennedy. Well, then, as they were leaving the meeting and it was time to get to the airport, Dr. Rogers and Dr. Kennedy shared a cab together. On the way, uh, Dr. Kennedy, of course, used EE to lead the cab driver to Christ. (laughs) And Dr. Rogers is just sitting there in amazement watching this whole process. He had taken his congregation through various discipleship and evangelism methods, you know, that was produced through the Southern Baptist. But when he actually saw the simplicity, but how God used uh, this to lead this cab driver to Christ, that was what initiated E.E. coming to Bellevue Baptist Church for many years. And I understand that Bellevue was a flagship for E.E. Absolutely. You know, in fact, for many years, my wife, Anne, would do the the diplomas that we would give people who would graduate level one in Bellevue was like, hands down, the number one church uh, every semester for the numbers of folks that were being trained. I mean, it was really something to see. And, and of course, uh, all the, the, the folks, they're trained. They are witnessing even to this day. And so, you know, that we praise the Lord for. Bellevue's an amazing church, and God's used it in a, in a big, big way. John, in an article written for Christianity Today entitled Outreach and Evangelism, What Works Today, Pastor Rob Toll asked the question, when traditional outreach misses the audience and evangelism becomes a dirty word, how can we share the good news? He goes on to say, today's church faces profound challenges within the broader culture, political correctness, postmodern relativism, uh, religious pluralism. We live in a society full of unchurched people who don't know the basic tenets of Christianity or the redemptive story the scriptures tell. The church at large has a poor reputation among non-Christians. Many hold distorted views of Jesus, the gospel, and traditional Christian faith. So they are biased against us before we get a chance to start a conversation. Our ability to engage the world is also hampered by internal issues. Some Christians question the motives behind traditional outreach efforts, viewing them as bait and switch. Many in our congregation seem reluctant to share the gospel, either claiming that evangelism isn't their gift or hiding in fear of potential rejection. John, are we seeing a decrease in evangelism in churches, primarily in the Western church? Well, undeniably, and, and it's not been a, it's actually not a new problem. It's existed for 
for quite some time. In fact, Spurgeon bemoaned it, it all the way back in, in his day in England. But, um, so it's, it, but in the United States, uh, somewhere around in the 70s, we really became enamored with this idea that all Christians were supposed to do was just to invite their friends to church, and they'd come and sit in pews, and the pastor would be the professional evangelist, deliver these great messages, and the world would be changed. And we almost entirely believe that today. And so the, we've relegated personal evangelism to, like you said, or this gentleman you're quoting from, uh, you know, the, this select few who have that gift or whatnot, and, you know, crazy people or gospel gorillas or whatever we would call yeah. them, you know, but they're they're not the normal Christian, right? And yet, and it's one of the reasons why we're coming to, to Memphis and doing this event with, with y'all, and that is to just demonstrate that that isn't true. Now, that's the great thing, Byron, about truth. It's either true or it's not true. And it's, you can experience it. You can see it for yourself. If it's true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. And so we go out into the highways and the byways, and we just have conversations with people. And we say, you know, are you willing to have a gospel conversation? Are you willing to have a spiritual conversation? You know, we just did this event in California with the Bot Radio Network that was affiliate there. We went out and talked to 112 people. We approached 112 people. 64 of those 112 people that we just went out and talked to on the street and in malls and in laundromats uh, stood there for 30 minutes and had a gospel conversation with us. That's the openness of America today. And none of those people had, well, I don't know what biases they might have one way or the other, and yet they stood there. Because here, here's the other thing. We believe in what we call divine appointments. We believe God is at work in people's lives. And so our job is actually not to go out and convince people against their will or against any of these things that you might have mentioned. We're actually on a mission trying to find divine appointments. God is already working in these people's lives. And by the way, out of those 64 that stood there and listened to the gospel, 38 of them made a decision for Jesus Christ oh, awesome. on the streets of Manteca, California, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. So what, whatever people perceive to be true about America and about the willingness of people to listen to the—here's all I know. Of, I'll sum up everything you just said in one sentence. Here it is. There are far more people in America that are willing to have a spiritual conversation— then there are Christians that are willing to go out and have those conversations. Oh, John, the fields are ripe in the harvest. They are absolutely ripe. That's all we see. Now, you know, I don't know what people's—the question they never ask, Byron, and I've looked at a number of these studies. The question they never ask is, um, well, now that I say that, I'm going to have to correct myself. What they almost never ask is, uh, is, are you willing to have a— conversation. Thankfully, a recent study, I think Ed Stetzer put it in, the question in this recent study, basically, here's the statement that he made. If a, if a friend of mine is a believer, I don't mind them talking about their faith with me. They, they asked that of it, they made that statement in front of a bunch of non-believers across America and asked them, do you agree with that statement or not? If, if a, my friend is a believer, a Christian, I don't mind them talking about their faith. And here's the thing, this is what most Christians would not believe. 79% of Americans said that's a true statement. If my friend is a Christian, and I, I don't mind them talking about their faith, um, but Christians don't believe that. We think it's all this stuff that you mentioned in this, that article. We believe that and with all of our heart. And it's, you know, you know that what we tend to do is what we believe. 
And so since we believe that with all of our heart, we don't go out and have these conversations with anybody. We're absolutely certain that we'll be rejected, we'll be you mentioned a cab. I'll tell you one more, one of my cab stories from Washington, D.C., and maybe it was impacted by Dr. Kennedy sharing that story with me. Um, I meet, you know, I don't drive in D.C. I go to D.C. fairly often, and, and so I, I go in cabs, and I always ask a couple of questions. My first question is, how long have you been a cab driver? And they'll tell me 20 years, something like that. Um, where are you from? Usually it's Somalia or Ethiopia. Do you mind if I ask, are you a Muslim? Answer almost always yes. Fourth question, have you ever met a Christian in your 20 years of driving cab in Washington, D.C.? Byron, the answer is always no. I've never met a Christian. Now, is there any chance that a guy can drive cab 20 years in Washington, D.C., and never one time meet a Christian? And, of course, the answer is ridiculous. Of course he's met a Christian. But none of the Christians have ever said that. And so I reach out my hand and shake their hand. I said, well, you've met one today. My last question is, am I what you thought I would be? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, well, no, I guess I thought you would have had horns or something. I don't know (laughs) what what the... But, and this is what I, I referred to a minute ago when I said Spurgeon would talk about this, that he would just bemoan this idea of Christians undercover. You know, he called Christians the great not a lie, the referring to submarines, you know, being down on the bottom, you know, hiding, basically. In, and, you know, the good news, bad news, however you want to say it is, it's going to get harder and harder in these days as we come for Christians to be publicly Christians. I mean, we can sense that already happening in our society. Well, the good news is, is that, prob- that it, what it will do is cause some people to stand up and say, you know what, today... I don't care. I'm, I am going to, to live out my faith in a valid way. And, and what we see is God always uses that. People are people, and the gospel is the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. Truthfully, people haven't changed. And the thing that I would, hes- I would, I would hurry to remind people is that the day in which we live is actually still, regardless of how you'd characterize it, much easier than the first century when the commands were given to the church. And so, you know, I and and frankly, many people had to pay a lot higher price yes. in the first century for what they lived out, seeing the church grow. And, but it is that kind of real valid faith yes. that's going to have to be lived out today for the, the world to be changed. John, uh, as we start to wrap up today's program, you know, creating a new urgency to reach the lost has got to be bigger than a new preaching series or a church yeah. campaign. I mean, you're saying Equip America is a tool that EE is using to address this challenge. Equip America is coming to Memphis October 23rd. What's the difference? Well, actually, what's going to happen, That basically, we're going to prove the concept. Come on out. It's either true or untrue, as I said. What you're going to see is, yes, we're going to spend some time in a room and talk about what a gospel presentation might look like. And then we're going to go out. By the way, don't fear that. Anybody listening, we're going to make sure you have a really good trainer, maybe a trainer from Bellevue or or somewhere around who knows how to have these gospel conversations and isn't afraid to do it. And they will be conversations. We're not going to go scream or shove anything down anybody's throat. We're going to go out and find if there are people in Memphis who would like to have a conversation about Jesus. Can you quickly tell us about the hand presentation? Absolutely. You know, E.E., you mentioned uh, this about Dr. Kennedy and the cab. E.E. is really just a a simple outline 
that Dr. Kennedy, by God's grace, came up with and identified and wrote down, and which, which makes it multipliable. That's the point of it. I think it's the key. And that outline is simply this. If you take your hand, your left hand, put your thumb, put it up like you're going to go out and hitch a ride. Well, your thumb's heading up toward heaven, and so that finger is going to remind us of heaven. And what we learn about heaven is it's free. It's not something that people can earn. And then the second finger, you know, we often point it out and point it at people when they've done something wrong. Well, that's going to remind us of us, of man, and the fact that we're sinners. The third finger happens to be the greatest finger on your hand. Uh, That's going to remind us of the greatest being in all the universe, which, Byron, we know to be God. The ring finger, this is going to remind us of what talks about in Scripture of Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride, and so this fourth finger, that because of that ring, is going to remind us of Jesus. And then the last finger, the smallest finger on your hand, is going to remind us of that little story in Scripture that says, if you have faith as of a mustard seed, and you say to this mountain, move, it'll move. So this fifth finger, this tiny finger, the smallest finger, is going to remind us of faith. And so right there on your hand is this outline that'll help you when you, you're going to learn this. If you come out to the Equip America event that we do in partnership with Bot Radio and uh, Mid-America Seminary, you're going to learn this hand outline. You're going to see your trainer use that as we go out in the street. Heaven, man, God, Christ, and faith. So you already possess a reminder, a little tickler for your brain, that as you're having a conversation with us, what are the key aspects of the gospel? Well, There they are, right there. John, that is a great analogy, a great way to remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ and how we can take it into our daily lives and out and share that message of what Christ has done for us and share with others. Again, the event Equip America coming to Memphis October 23rd, Saturday, October 23rd, and I believe we'll be at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary as a location to have. There will be a lunch part of that. Now, is is there a registration needed, John? Well, there is. If you go to equipamerica.org, now, the event is free to you. There's nobody in Memphis that needs to pay for the event. You can absolutely go to the equipamerica.org website, register for that event, but it would be nice if we knew you were coming. And so we can prepare for you. As you said, we're going to provide lunch. We want to make sure we have enough of that. We need to provide materials. We're going to do that absolutely free of charge to you. But please go on to equipamerica.org to register. Dr. John Sorensen, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're allowing Christ to do through you in the ministry of Evangelism Explosion to point people to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Byron, thank you. I can assure you only the mistakes are mine. The rest is God's. But we're having a lot of fun doing what God asks us to do uh, in these days. So that would be my last appeal, would just be to encourage people to come on out and see. Come see if this is something God can do and will do through you in these days. Saturday, October 23rd is the date, friend. Go to the website, equipamerica.org, equipamerica.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.